Good morning. Good morning. Everyone can hear me out there? Very good. Happy to be with you this morning. Been a great gathering already with uh, celebrating communion. Always something I uh, really do appreciate. As Pastor Dave said, you know what, this is um, it's a community. And it's the body, it's the, the body of Jesus. We're an expression of Jesus' body here on earth. That's what we're taught uh, in the Word. And we do a lot of things as a community. And so this past week, we actually got to have a really great time. You know, if uh, we went out to a Blue Jays game on Wednesday, we had 115 of us here, which is a lot of people. And it was a great time, right? Look at those, look at those happy faces there in the crowd. Those happy faces smiling. They still have some buttery popcorn in the corner of their mouths, you can see. Right? The people were very happy. It was a great day. Uh, 115 of us. The Blue Jays won, which was awesome. 3-2. It was a great game itself. If you're a baseball fan, you know these new rules have changed in baseball, and, and they're making the game run a lot quicker, too. So we got there a good time. The game went by really quickly. Uh, thanks for Durham Ways, uh, who gifted us a bus there. That was really, really helpful. And so you don't want to miss it. We try to do that annually, and there's so many lots of fun, fun things that we do throughout the year. You can see those on our website, but that's just one of them. So for Jays Game 24, when the time is, is near, make sure you sign up for that. Uh, so... You know, today, I'm very happy to be with you. Um, We're continuing our series. It's called Finding God. And, you know, Pastor Dave had spoken last week on finding God when it's hard, right? And we know uh, many of us could be in a season right now, a very difficult season for different reasons, um, challenges relationally, financially, mentally, emotionally. Um, On this land, in this life, we will have trouble. Jesus promised us that. It's a promise we don't always love to hear, but it was a promise that there would be trouble in this life. So when we're looking at it, and Pastor Dave talked about some of the challenges that come with finding God when you're in one of those really difficult situations. Today, though, we're going to actually take the flip side of that. We're going to look at something a little bit different, and we're going to talk about how there's a tendency for us to lose sight of God when things are easy, okay? When things are going well, we might actually have a challenge of losing sight of God. Um, Before that, though, if you wouldn't mind, if you're able to, would you please stand with me? We're going to read our passage to ponder. And this is the passage we're carrying with us these weeks of this new series. So why don't we read aloud for your neighbor to hear? Um, It's Isaiah 55. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, isn't that beautiful? You look at that. And he said, let them turn to the Lord, and he'll have mercy on them. And to our God, and he will freely pardon. That is the promise of Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for that. And, you know, this passage um, is, is our theme passage for this series. And finding God. And we know that theologically... Finding God, well, God is the one who finds us, right? God is the one. Jesus is the one who came to seek and save that which was lost. That was all of us here at a certain time. And Jesus comes to seek us. God is the pursuer. He's the one that initiates right from the very beginning from Genesis when sin enters the world. He's the one that initiates the covering of sins. He's the one that sends Jesus to die for the sins of the world. So anyone, anyone who comes to Jesus will not be rejected, This is your promise for you this morning, right? If you are not sure where you stand with the Lord, you have today to go and say, Lord, I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. 
So we know that God, he pursues us. But there's also this idea that the prophet Isaiah says that seek the Lord where he may be found, calling him while he's near. That's the idea that, you know, today is the day of salvation. You have this moment. You have this moment. And we don't want to think we have more moments coming on. Today's a moment to take advantage of the fact that God is still near. And as we continue, and we're going to take this very different approach, uh, we're going to look at, like, what it is. You know, if you're in a season of very apparent blessing in your life, and your life's heading in a direction that you really enjoy, there might actually be some pitfalls to look out. So we're actually going to talk about four uh, quick things, four brief thoughts about how you might be losing sight of God when these things happen. So I'll give you a little heads up of where we're going. You might be losing sight of God when our pantries and our accounts are full, right? We might be losing sight of God when all of our relational needs seem to be met. Uh, We might be losing sight of God um, when we have uh, this amazing, tremendous health. And we might also be losing sight of God for the ones that are here that have made Jesus Lord if we confuse religion with relationship. Okay? That's what we're going to talk about today. So, um, I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen this show? Um, it's called the, it's on Netflix. It's called The King of Collectibles. Anyone seen it? No, see it? Man, I'm the only, I'm the only nerdy person in the room here. <laughs> man, man. King of Collectibles. It's a cool show. I thought it was kind of cool. It's this whole idea of these people who, um, they collect all kinds of items, right? And as a young boy, I collected comic books and sports cards, right? You're seeing my nerdiness come, come to light here. And I collected those things, and I really enjoyed them. And the King of Collective is about this one gentleman, uh, his last name is Golden, and he's made this massive, we're talking billion-dollar business on selling collectibles. If you know anything about collectibles, shoes and stuff go for outrageous amount of money, um, there are things like sports memorabilia, you know, game-worn jerseys and stuff that are really, really big. They always go for huge thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. Some go for millions if you have collectibles. And people really love when they're like, um, you know, they're worn. So there's like, there's sweat on them. There's sweat stains on there. And people like, you know, if there's blood and stuff on there, that's when it really goes for a higher premium. And so these collectible shows, there was, um, there's one man, he had, he had, get this, he had a hundred million dollars worth a sports memorabilia, $100 million. I don't know how you can afford $100 million worth of just memorabilia, but he did have it. And one of the things that they talk about on the show, they said that, you know, for celebrity items, they sell some very weird things, right? Here are a couple of things that they sell. They sell people's washcloths. Okay, yep, that's what they do. They sell people's washcloths, and it can go for a high premium if you see someone's, like, maybe makeup on it or something like that. They sell little pieces of hair, of people's hair. I know. I, I'm outraged too. This is how I'm starting off the message today. All right. They also sell people's x-rays. X-rays. I don't know why, you know, seeing x-rays of your favorite celebrity. They sell people's dentures, okay? And these items, because there's something there that people are interested in about getting to a celebrity or a star athlete or someone to say, wow, they really had these things in their mouth, I guess. And so they really, they do sell these things. And one thing I noticed is you see some of the items there. And you see some gentlemen there. A lot of them were men. I'm not sure what that says, but there's a lot of them were men. And <laughs> they um, are meticulous about how they've organized these things. And they take up such amounts of physical space. It's just ridiculous. Like they have no room, but they're organized. 
They have no room in their, in their um, basements or in their um, attics or certain living areas and stuff. And you start to look and you see there's a fine line between really stocking something up that's of value and hoarding. Right? There's a fine line. And today in this message, we're going to talk about that. And, and we're going to look at how we kind of have to hold some things in tension here. And that story of the king of collectibles, it reminds me of a story that Jesus told. And before that, before we get to the story, we're going to read it. But Jesus, you know, in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, he, he talks about how we should pray. But he also really talks about how we should live. And one of the things he said is, give us today our daily bread. Right? And imagine that. That is really this idea of, I have enough food to eat only for today, for this moment. For many of us, we've been blessed with food for days, weeks. We can store things. There are things that we can do. But the King of Collectibles, back to that Netflix show, it reminds me of this story that Jesus told. So we're going to take it up here in, um, in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is around some crowds, and they're asking him a question, and he's just been doing some healing and some teaching. And someone from the crowd called out to him, said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? I like that. Jesus said, Why are you involving me in this? Like, what are you, what are you bringing me into this for? So Jesus said that to the man who asked the question. But then he said to the crowd, he said to them, Watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Then he told them this parable. He said, a certain rich man's land produced a, beautiful, a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then the rich man thought, he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grains and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Some translations say, be merry. And finally, it says, but in verse 20, but God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. The word of the Lord. Okay, so this rich man, do you think if he knew he was going to die tonight in the story that Jesus tells, do you think he'd still be planning on building bigger barns? No, I don't think so. He'd be spending those times with his family. He would be telling his loved ones how much he really cares for them. I think he'd be trying to make amends. Maybe some people he's hurt or he's wronged. He would actually take those moments that he had, those precious moments, to try to uh, live it out and make it right. But this is a cautionary tale. And this is a tale that Jesus tells a story. And, and like I said, there's one particular man who asked this question to Jesus, but Jesus tells this story to the whole crowd, making it seem like everyone should hear this. Everyone should be aware of it. And he tells us, your life isn't determined by what you possess, even if you have a lot of wealth. And if you see to this gentleman here, and here's, here's where I'm going to offend people, but I'll, I'll risk it. This guy, he reminds me of Mr. Early Retirement. Mr. Early Retirement. There's this idea sometimes that we have with retirement that we get to actually just take it easy and put our minds on hiatus and do nothing. And this is a really Western phenomenon. This is not common in many other parts of the world. 
right? Retirement shouldn't be this thing where all of a sudden everything in my life is just about my own comfort now, right? There could be paid work they have in retirement. There could be unpaid work, but there should be some sense of work and duty for you. And Jesus cautions about it. Um, Randy Alcorn, he's an author. He said, he said this. He said, when a man retires, it's not, it's not here, but I'll read it for you. He says, when a man retires at 65, studies show his chances of having a fatal heart attack immediately double. Randy Alcorn goes on to say, our minds and bodies weren't made to be shut down. Another thing. Uh, there's a study from Harvard School of Public Health, and it showed that there's a 40% increased risk of a heart attack within the first year of retirement. Some people are hastily changing a letter that they wrote to their boss <laughs> in their mind. <laughs> Listen, this, you know, Randy Alcorn says it, a Harvard study said it, but Jesus said it. There is something about maybe this obsession that we have about our own comfort that we should actually caution ourselves. And there's something about storing up so much that we think we have no more worries that we should actually take a caution. Now, I'm not saying here, again, hold all these things in tension. I'm not saying here, have no extra food in your fridge or have no extra food in your pantry. I have those things. I'm not saying save money for a retirement account. I have those things. I think about those things. But if our attitude towards our possessions makes us think that we have no concerns, what happens is it actually shows, it kind of replaces um, God in our lives. And it kind of serves as this backup plan. In case God doesn't come through, I have built up all this. You know, I needed God when things were early and they were rough, but now I've built up all this and now I'm totally fine. And that's how we have to, uh, that's what we have to be critical of. We have to be mindful of doing that. Um, I have one other quote I'll read for you. This is from Larry Burkett. He says this in his book, How to Use Money Wisely. He said, retirement planning so dominates the thinking of Christians who have sizable incomes that they overkill, he says. They overdo it in this area enormously. He says, there's this fear of doing without in the future that causes many Christians to rob God's work of the funds he has provided. He says, these monies are tucked away in retirement accounts for 20 to 40 years. And he says, God's word doesn't prohibit, but it actually encourages us saving for the future, including retirement. In Proverbs, it talks about the ant and how ant gathers in the summer and reaps in the harvest. Um, It says, but the example of the rich fool in this passage should be a clear indication that God's balance is when in doubt, give don't hoard, okay? So, quick takeaway for the first one. We deceive ourselves when we measure our life or worth by the amount of money or the number of possessions we have. And this type of self-deception can be disastrous. This is deception that says we're self-sufficient. I'm a, I'm a self-made man. I don't really have any words because look what I've done for myself. We have to be cautious of that. So the question is this. Where does wise and prudent, which is good things and, and commendable and encouraged in scripture for us to save, for emergencies, for the future? Where does wise and prudent begin and end? And where does greed start? You want to come up and explain to us, Pastor Dave, what the... <laughs> okay. It's holding these things in the tension. I would say one thing is this. If saving and playing for the future has increased your trust in yourself and less trust of God, you might be headed into the danger zone. We have to have this strong trust of God being our provider, being the one who gives to us. And there's a strong sense of contentment with what he gives while working very hard. Right? The Apostle Paul 
in his letter to Timothy, he says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That's great wealth in and of itself. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. If Jesus were to come back this afternoon, would it matter how much you have in your retirement accounts? Right? We have to have the sense of I can trust God with everything he's given to me. And I can still plan and work hard while still um, realizing that he is in control. Okay, next one. We're going to look at this one. We'll move through this one very quickly. We might be losing sight of God when our relational needs are met. Okay? Uh, some of us are in this room right now, and you, you might be missing your spouse. You might have been parted um, you might have been parted by your spouse in death or through divorce. Um, some of you might be missing these days where you had um, young children or children that were so close by when they lived in your home. And, you know, those are really tough circumstances. You might be in a season in your life where you had such a great friend group, and now, for whatever reason, there is distance and there's um, something in between you that kind of prevents you from being uh, so well. And so in these moments, it's very natural to cry out to God. But what about this? What about when your relational tank is full? You have great friends, maybe multiple. Um, You have, let's say, you you are married, and your marriage is going very well in this moment. All those things are to be um, thankful for. That's a really good thing. Um, The Apostle Paul, he, he talks about this. He talks about maybe when things are going very well. And he has this letter to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, and he writes to them, and he writes to the unmarried. And he says, listen, the unmarried, he said, often, you know, you want to marry and you want to have those things. He said, there's nothing wrong with that. But what he says is, you should maybe be a little bit cautious of it because there are some things that are not so perfect about married life. Paul, he's a single man, and he's maybe a widower. We're not quite sure. But he says, before we get to the passage, he says this. He says, you know, if you buy something, now's the time to live as if it's not yours to keep. He says, you know, if you are used to using the things of the world, don't become preoccupied with them because you might lose them. And he says, even if you're married, don't let it be your primary focus because everything in the world is passing away. He says, the time is short. Then Paul goes to a caution to the unmarried people, and he says this. He says, "Um, I want you to be free from concerns. A man who isn't married is concerned about the Lord's concerns, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the world's concerns, how he can please his wife. Verse 34, it says, his attention is divided. Underline that. A woman who isn't married or is a virgin is concerned about the Lord's concerns so that she can be dedicated to God in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the world's concerns, how she can please her husband. Then he says this, I'm saying this for your own advantage. It's not to restrict you, but rather to promote effective and consistent service to the Lord without distraction. So, quickly, as you realize, both marriage and singleness they have their own advantages and they have their own challenges. Paul says marriage is like this commitment. It's this obligation that often brings forth other obligations in the form of kids. And when you have those obligations, this can actually be presented itself as a challenge maybe to this unwavering devotion towards God that perhaps our single brothers and sisters may have. Remember, Paul is talking from a place of knowledge here, right? He, he is single and he's devoting his life. But, you know, he says the married man, the married woman, they have other obligations. They have other things that are maybe consuming their time. Listen, um, I'm married. I have children. 
and I'm very blessed to do so. I, I, I want to be, you know, the best pastor that I can be, whatever that looks like. I want to honor God's call in my life. But I also don't want to get to a certain point in my life and say, my, have my kids say, yeah, he barely knew my name. He had no time for me, right? I don't want my wife to feel like I was just kind of second in Gary's pursuit of doing the best for himself. So again, holding it in these tension to realize. So takeaway number two is that relational commitments, we realize that they can sometimes complicate our devotion to the Lord. And when we're aware of this, we recognize Jesus as our foremost priority. When Jesus becomes your foremost priority, all the other relationships in your life take their rightful place. If we can prioritize Jesus, all of a sudden we'll find out that our marriages get stronger. As parents, we can become better. Our friendships can be better. But it's this push and tug that we get. And it's important to you, wherever you find yourself in this season of your life right now, that's your ministry. If you're single in this season, you have a ministry, you have things to do. That's a calling that can be used very well. If you're married, that's also part of your ministry. So we can lose sight of God when we have a lot of money and our pantries are full, and we can lose sight of God when maybe our relational tank is full. Paul says that it pulls us from one way to the next. Third one. Here's another time. We can lose sight of God when our health is great. Um, for many people, we actually operate from what sociologists or disability theologians, they call an ableist perspective, right? And this is this idea that um, it's a perspective that kind of prioritizes the needs and wants of non-disabled people while simultaneously disregarding the um, accommodations, the special arrangements that can help our disabled brothers and sisters. And when you see the term disabled, you start to realize as long as you live long enough, that will come to each and every one of us, right? The disabled could be the sick, the aged, people with injury, or a condition that makes it difficult to do certain things. And so there's this whole sense that often for persons who are able-bodied, um, they can kind of operate that makes our think, when our health is great, it's because of everything that we've done. It can give us a false sense of pride. And one person who knew this in the Bible, one person who knew this in the Bible was Moses. Moses, he had a speech impediment, if you know about Moses. Um, he knew his limitations and his challenges. And it's funny because Moses is tasked with doing this immense job of leading the, uh, the Israelite people out of slavery. And God, he uses, actually, the man with the speech impediment to become one of the most effective speakers in the world, right? Moses is the one who says, let my people go. The way he says it and God's movement on his life uh, eventually gets Pharaoh to let them go. And Moses also, he was 80 years old when he began his leadership role for the Israelites. So let's, let's look at this passage. This is Moses speaking who understands his perspective. Um, he said this in Deuteronomy. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This is Moses to the Israelites. He says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and decrees that I'm giving you this day. He says, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Moses is saying, this sometimes the good life that you can live, it might make you forget God. We can forget the source of good. Then Moses says this in verse 17. He says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Okay? Let us remember that. All good gifts come from God. 
It's God who gives us the opportunity and the ability to do certain things. If you have a measure of health today, be grateful to God for it. Be thankful with what you do have. It was Paul who said that even in his weakness, he described a thorn in the flesh. Even in his weakness, he is made strong because God's grace is enough. Right? Moses, who had the speech impediment, becomes one of the greatest speakers this world's ever seen. So takeaway number three is when it comes to our successes, we tend to overvalue our ability and underestimate the impact of God's unmerited grace. Right? We haven't earned it, okay? So let's be mindful of that. And then finally, this, this last point that we have here. We might actually be losing sight of God when we confuse religion with relationship. Um, if you know this story here, um, this is the story of the lost son. He's often called the prodigal son. And it's the story of a lost son, the father, and the older brother. And the lost son, he, you know, he demands his inheritance from the father, and it's this very disrespectful thing. He's essentially saying, Father, I wish you were dead. I just want you to give me the money that you owe me right now. The father gives it to him, and the son squanders it and all this really wild living. And he eventually hits rock bottom, and he comes back to the father. And he, uh, he sees his father still there waiting for him. And it's this picture of God who is on the lookout for us, just hoping for us to return back home. And we're going to look at it, though. We're just going to look at another part of it uh, with the older son. So we pick it up here in Luke 15. It says this, Now his older son was in the field, and coming in from the field, he approached the house, and he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Servant replied, your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in. But his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, look, I've served you all these years and I've never disobeyed your instruction. He says, yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. He says, but when the son of yours returned after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And here's the thing, folks. If we're not grateful or if we're not careful, we can actually become much like the older brother. We can become embittered, right? And I'm actually talking specifically to the people who have made Jesus their Lord and Savior today. If that's you in this room, be mindful of this attitude. If we start to confuse some of the things that we do for God, like religious practices, beautiful ones, we're about to celebrate baptism, we celebrate communion already, and service and hospitality and doing these things for God, if we start to confuse that with relationship with him, we might actually become embittered because what could happen is we could think there are people experiencing God's grace and they don't deserve it. We could have this prideful attitude that says, but Lord, look what I've done for you. Look what I've done for you, dear God. What have they done for you? If you start to see these thoughts creep into your mind, be careful, be mindful. Look at the older brother. He says, um, he says this to the father. He says, look, I've served you all these years. It's as if he's saying, what have you done for me lately? I've done everything for you. I've served you all these years. He said, I never disobeyed your instruction. And then look at all this. Yeah, he says, I never disobeyed your instruction. And he says, I've n- you've never given me as much as a young goat. That's hyperbole. That's not true. This older brother is probably faithful, but he's a man. He's an imperfect human being. He's probably broken his father's commands at different times. And if we start to have this attitude that, Lord, I keep doing for you and you haven't done for me, um, where have you been for me lately? Then we're entering this zone. And I think I'd caution us that we're forgetting our own prodigal ways. Okay? 
The father, I love this, gently corrects the son. He says, the father, the father said, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, your life of abundance starts today, right? Life to the full has already begun. Everything in God's grace is yours. Your sins have been forgiven. Eternity is secure. Your bodies and minds will be redeemed in Christ's time, in Jesus' time. And because of that, gratitude, I think, goes a long way. So the final takeaway is we close. You can be in the Father's presence but not aware of it. The mission of Jesus is outwardly focused. So if we become embittered by God's grace and mercy shown to others, we're losing sight of the Father. Right? That's us today. Today we get to celebrate people communion baptism. We get to celebrate the ever-expanding family of God. And that is something that is worth celebrating always. So can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, Lord, we do ask, Lord, we thank you for seasons of blessing, dear God, seasons of very apparent blessing. Uh, let us be mindful of the fact that um, you have given us breath this morning. You've woken us up. You've given us the ability to get here today, Lord. You've given us a measure of strength and grace, Lord, and we're so thankful for that. Lord, help us to be mindful of um, these blessings that we can sometimes take for granted, dear God. Help us to be mindful of how the fact that you're working in us. Help us not to be ungrateful, but to pray um, prayers of gratitude and just being in awe of your lavish mercy upon us, dear God. Once we receive that, Lord, help us to extend that to others, Lord. So we just pray, Lord, that you help us to hold in the right tension um, how we work ourselves and still continue to trust you, Lord. And dear God, for all my friends here today, I just ask that you'll give them a strong sense that your presence is there, your presence is enough, and that you'll see them through, Lord, even the ones that are in a difficult circumstance and the ones that find it easier today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.